Welcome to episode 84 of Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, the vet podcast celebrating all creatures great and small and the fantabulous professionals who look after them all. I'm your show host, Julie South. Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet Staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vet Staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. NZ. Today we start the first of three episodes where Ian McLaughlin, CEO of the New Zealand Veterinary Council, and I talk about the veterinary shortage, the nursing shortage, why the NZVC doesn't include two of the world's top veterinary science universities in its list of recognised institutions, when it's going to update that list of recognised institutions, what clinics can do if they absolutely cannot manage their after-hours obligations, and what limited registration means. Back in April in 2022, Staff conducted its annual Veterinary Sector State of the Nation survey. The results are interesting, and I've mentioned a few of them here before. For example, one third of the respondents said they weren't earning enough to live on and were going backwards financially. One third said they were earning just enough to live on, but not enough to contribute to a rainy day savings account. And one third were earning enough and were able to contribute to a rainy day savings account. Now, when you hear those numbers, it's pretty easy to think that given two thirds of the respondents were going backwards financially, financially or were earning enough just to survive on, that the mix of respondents must have been two-thirds vet nurses with one-third vets. After all, it's no secret that nurses' pay rates really do need some serious increases beyond just the CPI. However, that wasn't the makeup of the respondents at all. In fact, the split of vets and nurses came in exactly equal with 42.7% of the respondents being vets and 42.7% being nurses. The balance of just under 15% was made up of admin staff like practice managers and HR managers as well as veterinary technicians. I haven't crunched the numbers that deep, but it's kind of fair to surmise that there are some vets who aren't earning enough to contribute to their rainy day emergency fund. The Vet Council cannot control and doesn't control pay rates. That's not its function. Yet I was surprised by the number of respondents who somehow thought that it was a power the council had. I asked lots of other questions of Ian that came from the survey, but I didn't raise the question of pay rates because it's beyond his and his council's control. Ian McLaughlin is the CEO and registrar of the New Zealand Veterinary Council. He is responsible for leading and managing the council, as well as carrying out the functions of the registrar as set out in the Veterinarians Act 2005. 
The New Zealand Veterinary Council is New Zealand's vet sector's governing body. It's responsible for the governance of the organisation and, ultimately, for making sure functions per the Veterinarians Act are carried out and adhered to. The council has a team of eight staff and seven elected and appointed council members. The eight staff are led by Ian as CEO and registrar, and he's supported by veterinarian Dr. Seton Butler, who's the council's professional advisor. Ian and his team report to the council's seven council members. Three of the council members are elected by veterinarians, two are lay people appointed by the Minister of Agriculture, and as I'm recording this, it's currently Damien O'Connor, MP. One member is a veterinarian also appointed by the Minister, and the seventh member is the Academic Programme Director of the Undergraduate Veterinary Programme at Massey University. For overseas listeners, Massey University is New Zealand's only veterinary science university. Ian reports to a collective team of brains, experience and credibility. Listen up. Dr. Lindsay Burton is the ministerial appointed veterinarian and chair. He was appointed in May 2015 and has been chair since March 2019. His background includes being a mixed animal veterinarian after he graduated from Massey. He's also been part of the New Zealand Dairy Board and Livestock Improvement Corporation, you might know that as LIC, as well as other consortiums and forums. He's a science-based decision maker and a member of the Council's Professional Standards Committee and the Finance and Risk Committee. Dr. Ben Davidson is an elected veterinary member and deputy chair. Dr. Davidson was elected in 2016 and has been deputy chair since 2019. He's previously served on the council's complaints assessment committee and today he's chair of finance and risk. Dr. Rachel Gibby is an elected veterinary member. Dr. Gibby was elected to the council in 2016 and is chair of the professional standards committee. Dr. Juliet Everett Hinks is a ministerial non-veterinary appointee. She has a PhD in animal science and worked as a senior scientist at Ag Research before completing her law degree. Julie's a member of the Professional Standards Committee of the Council. Mr. Zach Mounsey is the Ministerial Non-Veterinary Appointee. Zach is a member of the Finance and Risk Committee. Dr. Jenny Weston is the Academic Program Director of the Undergraduate Veterinary Program at Massey University. And Dr. Sarah Bagheri is an elected veterinary member, a mixed practice vet. She graduated from the Royal Veterinary College in 2006 and was elected to the New Zealand Veterinary Council in 2019. That's a pretty impressive lineup of people to report to. Mr. Ian McLaughlin is a practicing lawyer. That means he holds a practicing certificate from the New Zealand Law Society and has been admitted to the bar as a barrister and solicitor of the High Court of New Zealand. Just like it's an offence for someone in New Zealand to call themselves veterinarian when they don't hold a practicing certificate, so too is it an offence to call yourself a practicing lawyer when you don't hold a practicing law certificate. As a practicing lawyer, Ian gives legal advice to the council. 
Before joining VCNZ, Ian's worked in professional regulation in New Zealand and the UK and in private practice. He's a graduate of Victoria University of Wellington, where he studied his Bachelor of Laws and a Bachelor of Commerce and Administration. Ian's also completed the Te Pokatahi Reo, Reo Rua, please forgive my pronunciation, Te Kopai 4, and it's the program with Te Wananga O Aotearoa, if you're wondering what that is. It's an intermediate Reo Māori course intended for learners who already understand and use Te Reo at an advanced intermediate level. Straight after Brian here, we joined the chat with Ian and I talking about the council's annual workforce survey, which it hasn't done for a few years. I'll put links to everything as always on pawsclawswetnoses.fm website. This is episode 84 and bring it on Brian. An old vet told my father when he was a student in Glasgow, he said, uh, if you want to be a success in veterinary practice, just keep the bowels open and trust the rest to God. Nutrition's not an opinion, it's a science. They called me that weird herbal needle vet, and I, I just remember thinking, well, I'm still going to do it, because I know it works, and I've got the research to back it. From reminiscences of the real James Harriet's son, to pet nutrition, to acupuncture, the Vet Podcast discusses current animal health issues from around the world. I'm veterinarian Brian Gregor from New Zealand. Just search for the Vet Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Apologies for the uh, croaky voice. Of my, uh, I've been board meeting yesterday and travelling oh. last week, so I've got a lot of too much talking over the last right, few days. Right, right, that's okay. Ian, the last annual workforce analysis report was dated 2018 and 19. When does the Vet Council intend to publish its next annual workforce analysis report? As soon as we can. We're rethinking it this year and we're, we're planning to talk to veterinarians about how we can produce better results with the, with the survey we do and, and present it in a more useful way and in a way that will be more, more use to the professions. I can say that the trends seen in previous reports haven't changed all that much in the last few years. COVID and the border closure did slow down the rate of growth of practicing vets slightly, but it is still increasing and, and at looking at the last 12 months, it has picked up again quite considerably. That's good to hear. How many practicing vets are there in New Zealand right now? As of today, there are 3,244. That's down from a peak of 3,400 at the end of February. And that's not in and of itself that alarming. It's quite a typical pattern we see each year where the number drops a bit just after we do our practicing certificate renewal. Um, that's because, you know, it's a small number choose not to renew either because they've retired or they've gone overseas or or they've, they've moved careers or, or for whatever reason. But, yeah, in essence, 3244, and that's, that's, you know, aside from that peak in February, that's still year on year the highest we've ever had. That surprises me considering that our borders were closed for two years. Yeah, it is surprising. So what we saw in the early days, particularly, you know, immediately after the border closure was that our rate of growth slowed, but it still was growing. So we still are, you know, Massey grads were still coming through. It was much slower, but uh, it did pick up again. Um, and, you know, we started seeing the border exemption having some small effect. And then over the last few months, yeah, we're seeing more vets coming through. 
Do you know what the ratio is of overseas qualified to New Zealand qualified in that 3244? Yeah, it's hard to say exactly, but it's probably around 25% um, international. It was about 30% in 2019, and it's come down a bit because of that border closure. But what we are seeing is that of new, new registrants last year, it's back up to about 60, 60% new grad, uh, overseas registrants versus Massey grads. So, and that's compared to 40% during COVID, so uh, during lockdowns, I should say. So I think we're likely to see it bounce back up to around 30% quite quickly. In 2018, the council stopped reporting the number of average routine work hours. Why was that? So we um, stopped or, or temporarily stopped publishing the workforce report in 2018-19. And, um, you know, as I mentioned previously, we're considering how to, how to proceed and do that again. Uh, we are planning to publish that sort of data again in the very near future. Um, the reason the 2018-19 report doesn't have 2019 data is, is just because we were partway through the year when we published it. So it always has to necessarily end the year before. Um, so it is kept. I will say, you know, that this this workforce data publishing that we do, it's, it's not one of our core jobs to set out in the Vets Act. We do do it because we're, we, you know, we're unique in that we can do it, but it does mean then that we are a little bit limited in how much resource we can devote to it. Um, and it's certainly not priority number one. All that said, you know, I think it is very valuable information for everybody. And then we are planning to keep doing it. And where is it? The, the last report... It reported that 75% of New Zealand veterinary graduates continue to take out a New Zealand APC 10 years after the date of their first registration. Do you have any idea what that percentage is today? I don't have accurate uh, up-to-date retention figures as of today, but uh, our practicing numbers are growing and so are the new registration numbers. Um, and alongside that, the number of people being removed from the register stayed fairly constant. Um, so that suggests to me that the retention figures have stayed pretty similar. Which is good to hear because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of talk in the marketplace. Vets are leaving in droves, but yeah. numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, they do. And I, I think one of the, the important parts of this conversation is us all being clear about what we mean by retention and leaving the profession. So. You know, clinical practice is one thing, but, you know, most vets who leave clinical practice don't stop being vets. They move on to other very important jobs. You know, working as a, as a government vet or an industry is still vital. And, you know, as, as a country, we need those people doing that work. It's, it's something I think we need to be very careful about our definitions around if we're going to, you know, have that conversation. How many overseas qualified vets are working with limited scope registration can you just explain a little bit but as registrar what limited scope means because there's a bit of confusion in in clinics with that as well absolutely Uh, so limited registration is a way for us to register people who don't meet the full registration requirements and we can only do that when we know they um one they meet one of the scopes that have been set and two when we know that do it using that scope would be safe and appropriate in terms of that veterinarian's practice. There are, as of today, around 10 people working in the country with limited registration, I believe. That does go up and down a bit, so it normally hovers between 10 and 20 in any given year. Is that overseas qualified vets who 
have done the first half, the MCQ of the AVE, or is, are there other vets in there as well who have higher qualifications, yeah. but their primary degree is not recognised here? So those are the two most common types of limited registration. The number at the moment includes both. Yeah, the first part is, is as you said, there are veterinarians who, once they've passed the multi-choice portion of the of the um, what I call the Australasian veterinary exam, the AVE these days, is you know once they've passed that first part, they can work in New Zealand with some supervision requirements while they prep for for the, the rest of the exam. And again, that's because we've got that baseline established, right? Um, in terms of you know public safety, and the and the, the other most common use of limited registrational scope is, is is yeah when you see veterinarians who don't have an accepted primary degree, but we've got another way of saying yeah they're they're safe because they often have a specialist qualification or something very similar, where we can assure ourselves that they're at a level that is safe and appropriate for New Zealand conditions. Can you explain, please, what limited scope means in clinic? What does a, because I hear this quite often, because we have a number of overseas qualified vets with vet staff asking us to find them work. And quite a few of them have done the the past, the MCQ, so they can yeah. go in under limited scope. The clinics then say to me, well, what does that mean? So can yeah. you as registrar, registrar define that, explain that, please? Yeah, sure. And, and, and to be clear, the, the limits and limited registration mean different things for different scopes. So if you are if you're in that tier where you're you've got limited registration for what we call a restricted purpose, so you, you've got specialist level qualifications, then the limits are not about supervision; they're about sticking to your to your lane in terms of the species and, and discipline you're you, you're qualified in. For the AVE scope, which is the examination scope, once you pass the multi choice, the, the restrictions are about working for a named employer and working under a degree of supervision. Now, what we I, I think that can be at risk of putting employers off because they think, oh well, I'm you know I, I'm going to have to devote time and 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 and, and you know I'm going to have to have two vets to do one vet's job, and and we. There is an element to that to start with. So, you know, we'd expect supervision to be pretty hands-on to start, but we expect also that, you know, there's some judgment that can be applied here. And if you're supervising, uh, you know, a limited scope veterinarian and they're doing really well and you're satisfied that they can, you know, you can loosen the reins a bit, as it were, then that's absolutely fine and, and, and appropriate. So, you know, we'd, we'd expect that level of supervision to taper off over time. If you've got a really good vet, that could happen quite quickly. You know, fundamentally, you know, up until they get full registration, there's going to be some need for some level of backstop. But, you know, in some cases that might go all the way out to or somebody's a phone call away, which is pretty achievable, I think. And I will say if employers are wanting to know, you know, wanting to know what that looks like in more detail and practice or unsure, we're always happy to have that conversation. And, you know, feel free to pick up the phone or drop us an email. Listeners, I will put Ian's contact details for you to contact him about limited scope. In your opinion, how many vets do you think that New Zealand is currently understaffed to maintain current patient demand? And that's large, I'd like if you have any idea in large animal versus yeah. small animal, because you know, it's different. So that's unfortunately that's a really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's very difficult to answer. But um so I look at what's previously been said, and I think some previous figures that have been used have either looked at the reduction in new registrations with VCNZ, you know, that we were seeing when the border was closed, and 
you know, roughly that might put us at something like 150 places if you used that figure. Um, and also people have, you know, referred to the NZVA survey that they did a little while ago now, and that, that was a little while ago, and, and, you know, things have changed, you know, in the recent months. I think, you know, trying to figure it out, you know, I look at the fact that, while you know, we have more practicing vets now than we've ever had, and even the rate of increase is now roughly similar to what it was in the years before COVID. But it's clear we still need vet, you know, more veterinarians. Um, it seems like the number of companion animals has ballooned quite dramatically. You know, I, I have to confess I'm partially responsible for that. I did, did get a pandemic puppy. You're um, part of the statistic. <laughs> I'm part of the problem. With the uh, high number of lockdown pets, um, you know, I think I think that does raise demand for companion animal practice, you know, practitioners significantly. And even looking before COVID, we, you know, a lot of us were already talking about there being a shortage. You know, this wasn't news code, it was just all of a sudden much more acute. Looking at, you know, another way of looking at it might be looking at something like the NZVA classifieds. You know, I had a quick look before and it looks like there are some, you know, somewhere around 100 ads on there as of today. Um, Most of those companion animal, but there's again 20 for production and 20 for mixed-ish. So I'm sure that's not the whole market because not everybody advertises via NZVA. Some people may have given up advertising, unfortunately. But, you know, I'd, I'd guess that if we could add 120 experienced clinical vets to the market tomorrow and with something like a 60-40 split to companion animals, we would be in a dramatically better place. Big disclaimer there, that, that that's an estimated guess, and uh, sorry, educated guess and nothing more. Yeah, yeah I, I reckon around 150 across all disciplines yeah. for permanent vets. Yeah. And then I reckon another maybe 25 to 40-ish for roving locums to enable. So, you know, close to 200, I reckon, because we need the locums. You know, people need to be able to take leave. They need to be able to go into hospital. They need some downtime. Absolutely. Look, that sounds like a very credible number, and I'd I'd, I'd take your word for it pretty happily because I think this is probably one of those areas you've got a better sense than I do. We don't have good data on the locum workforce, so I don't have a strong view on that. But clearly, there is a need for more locums at the moment. You know, we have spoken to to practices who are you know really struggling to find them. How many vets do you think that New Zealand needs as a locum workforce? Yeah, again, my my problem is I don't have very good data on demand for locums. Um, it's not something I can put a number on. Aside from saying, yeah, you know, as as we've just said. I, it's clear there is a real need right now, and if you're if you're saying twenty to thirty, I think that you know I, I think you, you're the expert here, Julie. So Thank I, you. I, I think we, I'll probably steal that figure and trot it out in a few you, places. You can, yeah, this, just this yeah. Yeah. I, I reckon maybe forty. Mm, sorry, forty. Okay. Yeah, across companion and next, yeah, yeah. and, and that's yeah. seasonal too, because you know we're coming into spring. Well, yeah. you know, winter next week, but you know, we've got carving to. To get yep. over. What criteria does the council consider when recognizing an overseas university or institution before enabling reciprocity for vets qualified there to work here? So the starting point is our purpose, which is the public interest. Um, and that includes protecting animals, clients, and veterinary professionals from harm. So when we consider accepting a degree for registration purposes, the question we have to ask is whether we can be satisfied that it is delivered in a way that reliably produces safe and effective vets capable of practising in New Zealand conditions. 
Now, the actual process of doing that with any given institution is quite complex, and we probably don't have time to get into the, the detail now. But in essence, it involves a, a quite extensive hands-on review of the curriculum and delivery of the degree and or, or, or program. And normally that includes uh, physical inspections of, of uh, facilities and, and things like that when when COVID allows for that. Now, there are hundreds of, of vet degrees around the world, and, and we clearly don't have the resources to check every single one on our own. So we team up with others. We have a, a joint organisation with the Australian veterinary regulators called the AVBC, and that accredits degrees in Australasia um, and also further afield. Um, we're expecting to include um, City University in Hong Kong in the near future, as and, and AVBC is also working with other groups in Southeast Asia to see if we can expand that. Through AVBC, we also have mutual agreements with the college, the AVMA College of Education for North America, the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons in the UK, the South African Veterinary Council, and recently the Veterinary Council of Ireland. With all of those organisations, we've been able to do a lot of work to assure ourselves that they apply a very similar standard for accrediting degrees to that, that AVBC uses. So in essence, the upshot of all that is that we can say for any degree on our list of accepted degrees, that we are satisfied um, as to the quality of its curriculum uh, delivery and the outcomes in terms of training skilled vet graduates. Um, and very importantly, for any of those degrees, we can also prove that we've done that work and that we've done our due diligence. I Googled, like every self-respecting person of this century, I Googled and... I Googled top vet schools, I think it was, or something like mm. that. What came up, according to the QS, World University Ranking by Subject in 2022 of Veterinary Science, there were it listed the 10 top universities. I won't list them here, but I will put them on the website, listeners. The first one was the Royal College. At number seven and eight was the Vet Suisse Faculty in Bern and Zurich, and then the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. Neither of those are on the New Zealand Vet Council's list of recognised institutions. Why? When they're a top 10. Yeah. So this can be really confusing for people because there are some, some very highly ranked universities that we don't currently accept. And in essence, that's because the rankings generally look at a very different thing to what a regulator does when considering a qualification. Um, so rankings typically put a lot of weight on things like uh, reputation and research, for example, whereas those are not really considerations for us. That means we can't just rely on the ranking to assure ourselves about the ability of a qualification to meet our standards. That's not to say these, you know, any particular qualification on, on one of these lists doesn't meet our standards. It's just that we haven't yet been able to assure ourselves that it does, if that makes sense. You know, normally accreditation is driven by a university applying for it. So, you know, a hypothetical in, in Australasia, if a new vet school started tomorrow, they would apply to AVBC because there'd be a very clear incentive for them to do it. They, they'd want their graduates, graduates to be able to work here. Further afield, that would most often be through one of our partner accreditors. So, you know, a very good example would be a vet school applying to the AVMA for accreditation. Um, and, and in fact, many European schools do that now. So those two schools you mentioned, they haven't, to my knowledge at least, applied for accreditation by AVBC or from one of our 
partner accreditors. So we just haven't had that opportunity to review their programs in the detail we need to. And now, to be clear, there is a European accreditor and we've been working with them and, and you know, their, their acronym is EVE for quite a number of years now to, to get to the point where we can have a mutual recognition arrangement between them and AVBC and also the AVMA and the Royal College and the rest. Unfortunately, that is a complex pro- process and we're not quite yet there yet. The list hasn't been updated since January 2015. How often can we expect that update to be made, that list to be updated? So we are currently updating it and we're adding a couple of, of extra universities. That's including the, the University of Surrey in the UK and, and City University Hong Kong that I mentioned. We follow the AVBC list of accredited qualifications. So there and, and there have been a couple of universities in the last few years that, that have been added. Uh, and generally speaking, when AVBC adds a college to their list, we'll do the same. And that would include also the, the overseas accreditors as well. So AVMA, if they accept a new university, we'd update our list to, to recognise that too. If I understand correctly, New Zealand doesn't recognise the North American Veterinary Licensing Examination, the NAVLE, as everybody knows, mm-hmm. NAVLE, that's recognised by the International Council for Veterinary Assessment as a prescribed exam for the NZVNE, the NVE, or the MRCVS. Where is the shortfall with that exam and why isn't it recognised here? So uh, NAVLE is, is a little bit different from the AVU, that's the Australasian Veterinary Exam, what we used to call the NVE, um, and also the RCVS exam, uh, in that it's designed to sit on top of an already approved veterinary degree as a requirement for working in North America. So normally, if you, if you uh, somebody with a North American vet degree, you'd need to sit in Avley before you could get registered to work over there, even if you were, you were born there. And the same applies for Massey grads, for example. So if they want to work in the USA, they'd need to sit in Avley. And I should mention they've got very good pass rates in Avley. In fairness to them, it doesn't, it, it doesn't test the full breadth of veterinary schools and knowledge in the way that a full registration exam does. So we, we can't accept it on its own. Generally, though, to sit in Avley, you do need to have an AVMA accredited degree, um, which would actually mean in most cases, if you if you could sit in Avley, you wouldn't have to, to be registered in New Zealand anyway, because you'd have the degree we accept on its own. We also do accept the um, American Association of Veterinary State Boards PAVE program. So that's a program for the assessment of veterinary education equivalent certificate, and also the AVMA College of Education's Commission for Foreign Graduates, um, which I think is, is normally called the ECFVG, um, which are the two North American or two of the North American equivalents of our AVA, uh, AVE or the UK exam. I should also mention, I think the Canadian licensing exam would also qualify. I'm enjoying this, so thank you because I Good. didn't I didn't know that, and I'm sure there are. I'm sure I'm not the only one that doesn't know that. Well, I hope I'm not the only one that doesn't know that. I hear it. Why I'm sure you're not. Yeah. I've got Navli. Why can't I do it? Thank you for listening in and tuning in. You can find all the links mentioned today or references mentioned today at pawsclawswetnoses.fm. And this is episode 84. I hope you got a bit more understanding about some of the things the council does and can legally do and not do from today's chat. We'll continue the chat next week when I ask Ian 
why the council won't allow an overseas qualified vet with considerable years of expertise in their chosen field. For example, they might be a dairy vet or an equine vet or an exotics vet work in New Zealand without requiring them to sit additional exams covering species they have no future intention of working as a veterinarian in. So come back for that. Remember, hit that follow button wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts so you'll never miss out on an upcoming episode. Hitting follow is free and it means podcasts you like will automatically be sent straight to your podcast feed or library. Also coming up is the NZVA conference here in Kirikiriroa Hamilton in the wonderful Waikato. I'm going and I'd love to meet you. So please, if you see me, if you recognize me, maybe not from my photo, but from my voice, please say hi. I'm serious. Please do that. This is Julie South signing off and inviting you to go out there and be the most fantabulous version of you you can be. Kakiti ano. Take care and God bless. Paws, claws, and wet noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, vet staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz